Hey everybody, it is episode 109 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas, and I am extremely excited about my interview guest today. I've actually got a couple of guests, but one is sort of our focal point. I'll be interviewing Kate Grace of the Bowerman Track Club. She is an Olympic level 800 meter runner, also runs the 1500, has finished second and third in the U.S. at the 1500 meters and has a U.S. title in the 800, which she got before the Olympics in 2016. Ultimately at Rio, she made the final in the 800 and did really, really well there, PRing in the semifinal to make the final in what became really, really stacked women's final that year. Kate is an athlete that I've been following for a long time. And her journey, I think, is an inspiring one because she came out of school. She went to Yale, finished fifth at NCAAs in the 800. And wasn't necessarily an athlete that people were pointing to early on as a, as an athlete who would be able to make an Olympic team or be able to win U.S. titles. But through consistent hard work and dealing with some challenging ups and downs with injuries, she stuck to it, ultimately built her way up to that spot. And now is on a team with the Bowerman Track Club ladies and has, I know, big goals as we approach Tokyo in 2020. So really excited to have her on. I think the interview you'll find is really fun and interesting with a lot of good insights for runners of all levels, whether you ever run an 800 or not. We've also got a fun intro to the interview with her where I've got my episode 67 guest, Colleen on with Kate. Kate and Colleen are both in Colorado Springs training at altitude to kick off their training season before indoors. And so Colleen came on to help me with some fun Bowerman Babe trivia to sort of break the ice and kick things off. And so you'll get to hear about some of the behind the scenes fun life questions that you might be wondering about from the Bowerman Babes as they call themselves. So we'll get to that interview in just a second. Before we do it, I wanted to do a little bit on current events. We've got some marathon fields to talk about. Boston recently released its international fields, and then London released its fields this week. And I've got to say that the London <laughs> the London fields kick ass, and Boston fields are solid, but London definitely has them beat this time. And some would say that... London, the women's field in London perhaps is now the greatest women's field ever assembled for a marathon, and we'll break that down in a second. But first, wanted to talk about Boston. We already know the U.S. fields for Boston, and we've talked about that, particularly on the women's side. Des is coming back to defend her title, and Jordan Hesse is hoping to come back healthy and race in Boston when she had to drop out last year. Added to that, field on the women's side for the international women. We've got Ed DeKiplagat, who won Boston a couple years ago and certainly has the pedigree to win again. We've got Mari DeBaba, who is somebody who has finished, or who has run a 219, actually was the Olympic bronze medalist in 2016. We've got Ethiopian Aselafetch Mirza, who has the fastest PR in the field, 219.31, although she didn't have a great 2018, so we're not sure what we might be able to get from her more recently. 
And then there is a two, sorry, a 66 minute half marathoner, Mary Wasera. She's also a two time medalist at the world half champs. She's making her marathon debut and could potentially make some waves. And so the international field, obviously Edna Kiplagat is sort of the class of that field and probably the the favorite, I would say, on paper, especially given her Boston experience. But I do think with that field, it opens things up potentially for a Jordan Hesse, maybe even a Des, to, to win the race again and to have Americans go back-to-back. So, so that's something... You know that will that will certainly want to watch. Another interesting add to the field on the U.S. side is Sally Kibiego. She previously trained under the Kenyan flag, and this will be her first race as an American citizen. Sally Kibiego has a great background. She's a three-time NCAA champion at, from Texas Tech. Has finished second at New York a couple years back in 2016 when Molly Huddle made her debut there and finished just behind her in third. So Sally is another one, especially now as a U.S. citizen, to definitely watch. She could beat Jordan. She could beat Des. She could potentially win this race, I think, given the the, a little bit of a lack of of depth on the international side. And so she's definitely going to be one to watch. She's coming back from having a a child, so, so she'll be racing as a new mom and we know that that means she's taking some time off and so we don't know exactly where she'll get back to for this race this will be her first big race back but she is definitely one with the pedigree who could challenge for the win and it'll be interesting to see if she has any prep races before this one so we can kind of get a sense for where she's at but either way i think the exciting news for us as american fans is that I think Sally, between Sally, Jordan, and Des, there's certainly a chance that an American could be at the top of the podium in this one. So that'll be something to watch. Again, I think Edna Kiplagat is probably your 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 favorite given her championship type non-paced race experience and her the fact that she's won Boston before. She would probably be my early favorite on paper, but I do think an American female could win again sort of repeating that from last year which would be awesome so we shall see on the men's side i think there's a little bit more depth in the international field in this case as a reminder on the u.s side we've got dathan rittenheim in this field shadrach b watt who finished third last year behind joffrey Karui. we've got jared ward olympian from rio 2016 who also was the top american at new york Abdi Abnarapman, who is now getting pretty long in the tooth, but still showing up for these majors. He's going to be there at this race. So on the U.S. men's side, I think Jared Ward on paper and Shadrach Biwat would be the two to watch, but probably won't be threatening this really stacked international field. We already know that Yuki Kawauchi is coming back to defend his title, but we've got Joffrey Karui back, who won two years ago, got second to Yuki last year after fading in the final miles with that wind sail of a Nike jacket that he had on. We've got Lalisa DeCisa, who actually won New York, coming to Boston. He's also already a two-time Boston champion, so he'll certainly be one to watch. 
And then there's three other racers who were top 10 in the world rankings for the marathon last year based on time. Kenneth Kipkamoy, Sase Lemma, and Lawrence Chirono, who also be in this field. All of them have the time and the pedigree to challenge Lalisa DeCisa and Joffrey Crury for a win in this one. But you never know because Boston always brings something crazy, whether it be weather, whether it be heat, whether it be just the challenge of the course itself. You never know. But I would say your two favorites so far on paper would be Lalisa DeCisa as a former champion and certainly Joffrey Karui as well. I think if I were picking now, I'd give the edge to Karui because he's got to be hungry this time, especially after Chicago where he didn't finish on the podium and of course Boston last year where he got second he's going to be hungry to come back and get the win versus DeCisa who's coming off maybe being a little bit fat and happy after a win in New York so we shall see but that's your international fields or those are your international fields in Boston and then we turn to London which is really 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 stacked and has what some are saying might be the greatest field ever assembled for women in London. On the men's side, we'll start there. We've got Kipchoge coming back to defend his title. Mo Farah coming back as well to see if he can challenge Kipchoge after winning in Chicago last year. You've got also Tamarat Tola, Garam Yu. Cam Levins, the Canadian athlete who got a Canadian record. Daniel Wanjuru. Pretty stacked international field. Obviously, Kipchoge is the lead name there. Also, Wilson Kipsang is showing up for this one and talking a big game already that he could somehow challenge the great one, Elliot Kipchoge, for this one. I mean, I think basically... You know, the rest of the field after Kipchoge doesn't really matter. I think your highlight storyline leading up to this is going to be Mo Farah versus Kipchoge. And can Mo Farah actually challenge Kipchoge? And who knows? I mean, I would tend to think not. I would tend to think that Kipchoge is, is too far ahead and there's no way that anyone can challenge, but if anybody can, it's certainly Mo Farah, and so that'll be the storylines that we talked about. Leading up to this one, it was kind of interesting. Earlier in the week, Kipchoge had a quote that was in sort of Kipchoge fashion, throwing a little bit of shade Farah's way, and so I wanted to read that off really quickly here before we talk about the women's field. So Kipchoge says, I'm looking forward to racing Sir Mo Farah again. He's a great champion and proved in Chicago that he can win a major marathon. So I relish the battle with him and, uh, and also the many other great athletes that I'm sure will once again be on the start line in London. I watched Chicago from the first kilometer to the last kilometer and I was really impressed with the mind and thoughts of Mo Farah. It was not really fast, but it was a tactical race and it was a psychological race. It's funny that Kipchoge is calling... Mo Farah's 205 not really fast. And certainly it's not when you think about the world record in 201 and change. But 
205 is really damn fast. <laughs> and so it's just funny how Kipchoge, I don't know if he's intentionally throwing a little shade that way or if that's just the way he thinks about it. But there you go. That kind of begins the controversy of Kipchoge versus Mo Farah. We'll see. I think anybody who's betting against Kipchoge at this point is probably thinking about this the wrong way. For the American men, Chris Derrick is in this field, Bauman Track Club athlete who really has underperformed expectations to this point. And here's to hoping that putting him in a really fast field, taking a little bit of the pressure off and perhaps giving him you know, a slower pace group pack to just dial in with will give him a chance to have a breakthrough at least on time. Now, let's talk about this women's field because it is insane. We've got Mary Katani, who's in this field, obviously the winner at New York, one of the greatest female marathoners at this point of all time. Tiranesh Dababa, also in this field, was in the field last year to try to challenge Katani, but, but had trouble in the heat. She is arguably one of the greatest of all time, and so she's here. We've got Vivian Churiat, who was at New York trying to challenge Keitani, and is certainly that potential heir apparent to her as she gets better in the marathon. And then Gladys Chirono and Bridget Kosky, who you know both won marathon majors last year in Chicago and Berlin. So there you go. You've got three marathon major champions going up against a marathon major runner-up in Vivian Chiriot, who also won London last year. And then, of course, you've got Turner Stababa, who's arguably the greatest female distance runner of all time. Absolutely amazing field. That one's going to be hard to handicap. You would have to believe that they're going to be going for a, a world record in this one with that stacked of a field. The question will be, who is willing to go with Mary Keitani, who has been aggressive on the London course in the last few in the last few years, and certainly it cost her last year as she faded badly in that race. So we shall see, but it's going to be fast, and it's going to be a battle of the big dogs for sure there in London for the women. I'm excited to see some Americans in this field that we've got to talk about. We've got Molly Huddle in this field, Ali Kiefer in this field, and making her marathon debut, Emily Sisson. Emily Sisson is somebody we've talked about as we're hoping that she would move up to the marathon sooner rather than later. And here we are. She'll be running with her teammate, Molly Huddle, both coached by the great Ray Tracy. And so I think that's exciting. I think for a couple reasons. One, because it'll be interesting to see what Emily can do in a fast race. Also, with her being able to key off Molly, but it's also exciting for Molly because I think this is a race where she can take off some of the pressure. If you think about, if you think about Boston and New York, it's always about, especially with Shalane winning and Des winning and the stacked Americans field, American fields that we've had in those races where we're talking about can an American win. I think this is a case where, Really, Molly isn't going to be in the conversation for the win. What she can do is just settle in with a second or third pack, depending on how they pace this thing, 
and really just focus on running a fast time. She'll have her teammate with her, so that'll be helpful and, and sort of get her comfortable. She has said she'd like to run 222, 223, which I think she needs to really have the confidence to go into the trials and make that podium against the likes of Jordan Hesse, Des Linden, Amy Hastings Craig, potentially Shalane, and now, of course, Sally Kipiego. So I think this sets up perfectly for Huddle to have a fast time because she doesn't have the pressure on and can really just kind of settle in, run her own race, and try to run fast. And so excited about that. And then, of course, Allie Kiefer, same kind of thing. It'll be interesting to see what she can do on a flat course. You know, she's done well at New York the last couple of years, PR'd in November, as we know. And it'll be interesting to see how this course sets up for her. So I think both of them, well, really all three, Molly Huddle, Allie Kiefer, and Emily Sisson, could drop a really fast time here that would give them confidence going into the trials in February of next year. So... There you go. Those are the London fields on the women's side. I didn't, I guess, pick a, a early favorite. Kipchoge, obviously, for the men on the, the women's side, I would say I would put I would still put Kitani as your as your favorite after what she did in New York. And because she's been able to run fast on the London course before. But we will see. It'll be interesting to see what we get from that field in terms of press prep races coming up. So there you go. That's Boston and London. Much to look forward to as we approach spring marathon season. All right, so now we're going to turn to our interview. We're going to bring Colleen and Kate on to the show. Welcome, Kate and Colleen, to the show. How are you guys doing? Coming from Colorado Springs? Good. Doing great. <laughs> it's good to have Colleen back. She was an awesome uh, first guest, as I mentioned in my intro or first guest from the Bowerman Babes, I should say. As I mentioned in my intro, she is still our most downloaded elite athlete interview, which is pretty, pretty cool. So there you go, Colleen. You've got that moniker to your name. It's about over. No. <laughs> so, right? So, so we w- I wanted to start with a fun intro since I've got you both on because, you know, we know the Bowerman Babes are badasses. I believe there's 11 of you now, if I'm counting correctly. It's true. And... And nine of those 11 are Olympians. Yeah, did you hear about our newest bar, my babe? I did not. Matt Dunterwitz says self-proclaimed. Oh, so you're, okay, got it. I did see that. Self-proclaimed bar, my babe. I did see him hashtag bar, my babe in his tweet He's about owning it. He's totally moving owning it. over. So that's cool. So the 12th bar, my babe, Matt Dunterwitz. <laughs> so, but of the 11 real bar, my babes, Nine are Olympians. The only two that aren't are Vanessa and Carissa, who just joined, who haven't had that chance yeah, yet. So I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be there. Eight were actually NCAA champions, and five have global championship medals, either world champs or, Olymp- or Olympics. So we know you guys are badasses, which is awesome. But we wanted to do, in this intro, get a little bit more info on sort of the other side of things, you know, what goes on behind the scenes with the Bowerman Babe. So Colleen has crafted some questions to ask of Kate to kind of dig into what life is like with you guys when you're not running. So Colleen, let's, let's tee this up. Let's tee this up. This is me. It's my thing. What do we got for Kate here? Okay. My first question for Kate pertains to what we did last night 
which was we had every single person mm-hmm. over to our house. Everyone who's here at Altitude Training came over to our house and we made homemade pizzas and we had recorded The Bachelor from Monday night. So I don't know if we have any Bachelor fans listening to your <laughs> podcast, but I would like to ask Kate, which barman babe is the biggest Bachelor fan? I feel like I'm going to offend someone by saying that Kate, I'm not. I'll just say Kate is not the biggest <laughs> Bachelor fan. I think Marielle and I count for maybe the least or whatever, the smallest. Well, I never watched The Bachelor, but it's so much fun. Um, I mean, I have to give props to Vanessa. Vanessa, like, knows – she literally researches beforehand. She knew – she knows what happens in the whole season. She already knows who won. Yeah. She already knows who won, so. Um, uh, she's reading the spoilers. Awesome. I mean, Emily, yeah. Emily is um, – actually, Emily came up last night, which was really fun to have her here. Um, Emily's huge. Shelby – I learned yesterday that Shelby watched it separately before yeah. the group. Shelby Shelby's low-key a big fan, though. Yeah. Loki. She's closet. Yeah. I mean, a lot of Loki big, or yeah. a lot of big fans. People so what's your final answer? What's your final answer here, Kate? I mean, the fact that Vanessa like yeah. looked up all the answers and knows and knows how to find that <laughs> was pretty impressive. <laughs> and she's the one that like makes sure she wants to make sure that everyone's here, which I appreciate. Okay. So Colleen, Colleen, did you, did she get it right? What would I you agree. say? I would I would totally okay. agree. Yeah. So I have a confession. I watched The Bachelor oh. with with my wife. We find it highly entertaining, and we sort of have this drinking game. So we'll we'll open a bottle of wine, and then every time we watch an episode, we'll choose words that are sort of the keywords, the drinking words for an episode. And depending on where you are in the season, you kind of have different words to choose. You know, like early on, amazing is always one that is you know really prominent because they're talking about how amazing he is or she is. And then later, you get like ever. Yeah, falling becomes a word that like I like to key on. Oh, yeah, no, the process oh, of falling in love. Anyway, so I'm probably I'm probably already outing myself too much here, but but I I get it. I know where Vanessa's coming from. It's highly entertaining. No, I'm learning that like there's a lot of guys. I mean, well, again, speaking of uh, other Bowerman babes, Centro. I would say Centro. Like he might be. Vanessa. Yeah, he might be. <laughs> it's, that was surprising. There uh, you go. You heard it here first, folks. Centro is a bad getting the fan. other guys into it too, which is fun. Now the other guys, we've done a bracket. So everyone's filled out their bracket and the guys are, you know, hyper competitive. So now they all want to win. Yeah. Um, whoever wins gets a burrito from every other person. <laughs> so wow. gets like nine burritos or whatever. It's like two <laughs> weeks worth of burritos. Yeah. Yeah. So they're pretty into it. Nice. All right. So that's question one. Vanessa seems to be the consensus. What do we have for question two, Colleen? Okay. Question two is, which barman babe is the best baker and the best overall chef? That can be two Two separate answers if you want. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think of Emily, like, as the best baker. Emily also is the craziest. She bakes. I mean, you think of baking as, like, you need the recipe. Scientific. But literally, like, Emily bakes as like as if she's cooking. She just, yeah. bakes, she just puts things together. And so she, like, makes things. Throws it in the oven. Yeah, and she makes these, like, oatmeal bake things that are really good. <laughs> and they always turn out good. Like, yeah, they turn out so good. True. Um, we were roommates last year, and I felt uh, I was eating too much of it. <laughs> um, and who's the best chef? I mean... The Shalane count? Yeah, I was going to say, this is kind of a giveaway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Shalane's the one with the professional cookbook. And we all <laughs> she does, does have two best-selling cookbooks. Although, to be fair, 
compare, I mean, I feel like Colleen makes, Colleen did a riff on her Thai quinoa salad that was pretty incredible. So I take a lot of her recipes and then put my own twist on them. Yeah. But I always give her credit for them. Mm -hmm. Whereas Shelby (laughs) takes her recipes, like adds a little more salt (laughs) and then calls them hers. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. She like took her fish taco recipe, added like another mango and then was like, it's my fish, fancy fish taco recipe. (laughs) The fish, Shelby's fish tacos are incredible. But they're Shelby's fish tacos. Nice. Okay. So So what's, what's your favorite recipe from the cookbook, Kate? Ooh, I mean, legitimately, this Thai quinoa salad was incredible. Like that was it's, um, All right. favorite. Yeah, salad. really, really good. Um, and simple. Her second cookbook is much more like thirty-minute, you mm-hmm. know, meals, not quite so labor-intensive. I like also. I love the different sauces, like for the bowls. Mm. Um, the miso lemon lemon miso lemon miso sauce is amazing. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. And then the soups, the flu fighter soup is been oh yeah. Man, I'm getting hungry listening to that. Yeah, yeah me too. We just and ate about dinner. <laughs> and note to the audience to go buy Shalane's cookbooks if they yeah, haven't exactly. already. This is also uh, Yeah, I wonder if we're going to get kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll get our percentage later. All right. So that's question two. So Emily, best baker, Shalane, best chef. Is that consensus? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yep. All right. What do we have for question three, Colleen? Moving right along, which Byron babe has the biggest sweet tooth? Oh, it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky. Mm-hmm. I feel like we all kind of have sweet tooth yeah, at different all. times. We definitely do um, like our sweets. Uh, I don't want to get it wrong. I mean, my first thought is that Courtney is eating. <laughs> yeah, Colleen's nodding at me. <laughs> That's cool. my first thought, too. <laughs> Courtney's just also really good at self-control. So for me, like, I just didn't know. No. <laughs> well, I feel like I like finish your thought. Well, I feel like I generally like I don't buy an a thing of ice cream because I won't. I'll just eat it all in one mm-hmm. sitting. But like she'll, I feel like she'll make or she'll have sweets and then she'll just be good about throughout, yeah. throughout the season having a little bit um and satisfying her sweet tooth. Yeah. Whereas for me, sometimes when I come to the altitude camps, I'm I don't know, <laughs> I eat peanut butter instead of sweets or something. <laughs> I think I was thinking Courtney as well. And I would just think about like going to like brunch with Courtney and I'd be like, she'll get like eggs or whatever, but then she'll get like a sweet, like a scone or a cookie or a yeah. muffin or a cupcake or like something sweet. And I'm always just like, dang you, how do you look like that? And you always get to like have a sweet. Cause I will like, I just won't do it. Cause I yeah. put on weight well, a lot well, easier. That's what control. Well, I so like she, she well, she just, I think she has a crazy fast metabolism yeah, so she can have a treat like almost every day. And, it doesn't really affect her the way it does some other people. Vanessa is also going to be gaining in sweet tooth. Vanessa has this incredible, she's winking. She's doing this awkward wink at us right now. <laughs> Vanessa's in here listening to us. <laughs> she has hey, this incredible, like, she warms the cookie in the microwave and then, yes, puts, yes. And then melts a chocolate bar on top. <laughs> that blew my mind. <laughs> you can start smearing peanut butter on yeah. that as oh, well. That would, so that would be really good. Sounds, sounds like you got a new cookbook in the works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we should do a cookbook of all sweet. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can relate to the sweet tooth, but I, it's impressive that she has self control to go with it because that's something I definitely don't have. Yeah, that yeah. is the key. All right, okay. Courtney, good good to know. All right, what do we got for question four? Question four here. Four Probably. is which Armin babe has the best and worst dance moves? Oh, so we're hitting the dance floor postseason, going out. Who's on the dance floor making you proud? And who's on the dance floor embarrassing you? <laughs> um, 
I love there's going to be a tie for the worst. <laughs> I mean, my first <laughs> ten-way tie, tie, for, tie worst. for the worst. <laughs> um, I mean, best, I don't know. I, we all want to get Marielle off dancing. Oh, yes. Um, so, I, I mean, Marielle's always, like, low-key trying to show off her stuff. but then, She's, um, like, teasing us. Yeah, always. she teases us. <laughs> um, is there someone else I'm not thinking about with dance moves? Shelby loves Shelby. to dance. Shelby loves to dance. I wouldn't like, say that she has the best dance moves, yeah. but she really commits. Yeah. Which is um, key. I mean, I could see. I haven't seen Shelby dance. I feel like I, I'd be open to having her also up there. <laughs> um, Shelby's definitely entertaining. She has Ev- a few key songs. Okay. Yeah. I, I haven't been out with Shelby. The yeah. Emily. <laughs> I would say Emily like has this incredible. Emily's hilarious. She got the one move. move right? Yeah, she's the one move. I mean, she's definitely not the best dance move, but like she just she. Um, I just want her like acknowledge that Emily yes, has this yes. one incredible move where she yes. does the back bend. Like, okay. <laughs> so she has the best dance move, maybe not. The best <laughs> dance yes, move. Yeah. <laughs> and then who's gonna be? I mean, I feel like we're gonna tie for the worst. Oh, everyone else ties yeah. for the worst. I don't know. Do you have thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't really picked a worst. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So is Mary is Marielle the winner? Typically, distance runners don't have. Right. <laughs> yeah. Coordination and rhythm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So trick question, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but good to know. I, I mean, you should get Emily showing off that dance move on Instagram sometime. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, we should. Yes. Oh, if you look up a video or I guess photo or video of um, the creatures that live outside of... <laughs> what? Wait for it. You'll agree with me. That live outside of used car um, shops where they're selling, you know, selling or like new cars, I guess. There's these blow up creatures. Oh, yeah. And they have like a fan at the bottom. And then it has like this plastic tube that comes up. And the the plastic tube like does these like wavy. It's hard to explain without using my arms. You can't see me, but it's like a... Wavy it's creature. Like, you think it's turned. Up, it's it's gone down, but then it comes up again. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, it's dead. It's alive. Yeah, yeah. that's Emily's <laughs> dance move. That's the move. Yes. Wow. When you said creature, that's a, I thought you were that's going, a pretty like, good visual. Oh no, no, it's like a I don't know, yeah, like a blow up blow up toy. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Yeah, you need to get a side by side, find one of those, and have her demonstrate. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that can be the um, promo for the podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so last question here. Okay, last question. This, this one I feel like is going to be the easiest, no, but we'll see. No, no, no. This is super serious. Oh. Don't give it away. Okay, okay. Super serious, um, and you might not know the answer, and that's okay. Don't feel embarrassed if you don't know. Okay. <laughs> My question is, which hashtag barman babe eats two bagels with cream, <laughs> with cream cheese 15 minutes before we run in the morning? <laughs> that would be Vanessa. <laughs> Um, what Vanessa is the deal with that of steel we're all so impressed with her she finished she eats two bagels on the way down and <laughs> everyone else has to get up like an hour earlier yeah to sure they get it all in uh but yeah. how does that how does that work if i eat a bagel anytime i feel like my, my stomach just explodes right it's like the bread soaking up all the whatever else you have it so not one bagel two bagels two with cream cheese you got the dairy too I've got a useful so, stomach. To be fair, her boyfriend's a swimmer, so I feel like swimmers. I feel like yeah, swimmers maybe she do that. that from him. Yeah, you just kind of force it. I've trained. Kind of force it. Your stomach evolves or something. It learns its lesson. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll deal with this. So poor Vanessa kind of got thrown under the bus there. Yeah. Sorry, Vanessa. 
You can blame yeah, Colleen. Blame These are her questions. questions. I think she's okay with it. <laughs> but, you know, so we started and finished with Vanessa. We yeah. started with her as the biggest Bachelor fan. I, I feel like that's good. Again, good. Vanessa helped me come up with the questions. <laughs> I feel like that's good in a way because Vanessa's, you know, still people are getting to know her <laughs> in the mix. Totally. So this is a good opportunity for her to sort of shine. <laughs> yes, you know? amazing. Yes, we're all living. To, uh, the, well, the three of us um, and Rico are living together um, at camp, so nice. we're having a good time. A lot of quality time together. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks. Colleen and yes. Vanessa for providing some intro fodder. We'll now we'll now turn to our more serious interview with Kate. Happy so to help. So that's okay. But thanks, thanks for, for joining. Me. It was awesome. Yeah, thanks for letting me have some fun. All right, Kate. So you're a SoCal girl, grew up in LA, went to Yale, Ivy Leagues. Both those two things might have their own stereotypes associated with them. And before we let people sort of jump into any of those preconceived notions about who you are. I want to talk about a mantra or at least quote that you use for inspiration building to the 2016 Olympics, which comes from kind of a weird place for a, for a professional runner from Marshawn Lynch, who at the time was a running back for the Seattle Seahawks before he retired the first time. And he talked about in this interview about his ability to, in a, in a, in a game, wear down the defense by just running over people. And so he had this quote, you know, that he was going to run through a motherfucker face. <laughs> and you, you use that quote, I know, in sort of your, I don't know if there were mantras or things that you were sort of reflecting on as you kind of went through that season up to the 2016 Olympics. And so I just wanted to dive into that really quick to kind of get to let people know that there are a lot of sides here to Kate and we're going to talk about a bunch of them, but this is one of the more interesting ones that I've seen through the years. So tell us about that quote, what it meant to you and how you used it. Oh man, it's so funny. I feel like if, if you haven't, whoever is listening, if they haven't seen the video of the interview where he says that you just have to go watch it. It's like, you can't even explain it. Um, it's so good. And yep. um, I mean, I feel like it's, uh, I mean, yeah, maybe it's weird for a runner, but as a, he's, he's a professional athlete, and I just think the quote is just perfect. It just exactly talks. He's basically talking about like how you get um, competitor, how you kind of beat down or beat competitors and have them respect you, right? And you just sometimes like you just have to like have no mercy. Um, yeah, and he's like, one point if you run through a motherfucking face enough times, they're not going to come back. Um, and I think it just like. Going into that season, I had so much fire and I so wanted to make like my to make my breakthrough and make it work. And it was like, you know, and I just it was just the perfect quote or mantra that it just you don't think about too much. There's even even in his interview, his whole thing is like, there's no analogy here, there's no deeper meaning. It's just <laughs> you just have to, you know, sometimes you just have to be a badass and like just be fierce in a race. Um, and that was, yeah, I tried to like have that be my energy if that makes sense so was that a season was it part of the season or you know how long did you use that would you go back and watch the interview like would you bring it up would you read it did you write it somewhere like how would it actually tactically go to work for you yeah i got that year i got really big into writing down mantras so i would have um 
I had like just a note on my phone where, well, um, first of all, I read um, the champion, champion mindset, champions mindset, this book by Jim Affermal. I hope this is all correct. We can like link to it. Um, and it's a great, it's a great sports psych book. Um, uh, Drew gave it to me. And so I had like a ton of sticky notes from that book. And then I was working with a sports psych and I was almost like drowning in sticky notes. So I needed to kind of um, also make it simpler. So I just had like probably five to 10 key ones that I just wrote down little phrases on my phone. Um, that, and I kind of just every race that year, like maybe added one that just was really meaningful and that really like struck a chord. And so then by the time I was hitting the trials and then the Olympics, I had just these 10 that were all like just kind of my go-to phrases. And I would look literally before races, um, kind of in those hours where you don't know what you're doing with yourself and you're just trying to calm down or whatever. I would just like look at these, but yeah, literally with the Marshawn Lynch thing, I would also, um, like look up the interview because it's just so perfect. Um, <laughs> so my boyfriend went to Cal and Marshawn Lynch um, was a, like played at Cal before going to Seahawks. So I think I'm pretty sure that's how I got introduced to the quote that year. Um, but yeah, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely find it on YouTube because he also repeats and over and over <laughs> and over like 15 or 20 times, basically emphasizing that. His, his job in a game is just to run over people as many times as possible until he bends them to his will. So yeah, exactly. It's just like, the- and you did it, you did it that season. Yeah. It was fun. Making it all the way to the Olympic final. Mm-hmm. We'll get there though. First, let's back up now that we've gotten the proper intro on the fact that you're not afraid to use the word motherfucker as inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your running journey. How did you get into it? I know you played soccer growing up, got into running in high school to stay in shape for soccer, I believe. But how did that start for you? And then how has it evolved for you from there? Yeah, I so I played soccer. It's funny because soccer is a winter sport in California. I actually played like varsity soccer through my senior year of high school because you were able to do that and still run cross country and track. Um but I was like, I played club and all the things when I was younger. And then, yeah, um, freshman year, basically we had just, our coach made us run the cross country races as it's kind of just getting, um, keeping us physically fit for the soccer season. And basically the first cross country race I did, I met my like to be track coach and he saw me and he was like, okay, you're going to, you need to start coming out for more races. Um, and I think I got second at that race, like showed early potential, but also like did not like cross country. Cause it is just, I don't know. It, team sports are so much fun and cross country just seemed like a bunch of pain. Um, <laughs> but I ended up falling in love with it. My like two best friends, they're still my best friend or some of my, be- of my best friends um, were both my year on that team. And we kind of grew the team together. We had this really fun, like cross country vibe. We actually ended up winning California state as a team, my senior year, coming from like freshman year, I think we barely made it out of our league. Um, so just this was like really fun kind of growth. And I learned that first of all, running can be a team sport, even though it's maybe not the exact same as soccer, like you can still make great relationships. Um, and that's definitely continued for me. Like I, I have friends from all through my years of running and it's brought me so many good relationships. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think going, I started to learn that like I could run in college basically my whole way, even up, up until joining 
New Jersey, New York track club and trying to kind of go post-collegiate or pro, it wasn't, I didn't necessarily have, I had like a vague idea that maybe if I really tried this, I could be good at it, but it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily the phenom. I didn't really know that it was possible to go pro um, or even like running college. And I just, um, I kept just having so much joy in it and kept kind of working away at it and um, finding that, oh, there actually is an avenue for you to continue doing this um, and continue seeing what you can get out of yourself. Um, yeah. Was there a turning point for you when it went from being something that, hey, I sort of backed into because I'm good at it? You know, a lot of there's a lot of soccer players in the pro ranks because you've got that aerobic development starting at a very early age in in doing it in a way that's sort of unstructured, but also is building athleticism, right? So a lot of soccer players get into it. But so for you, you kind of, hey, I'm doing this off season. Coach wants me to come out. I'm winning races. I'm good at it. How do you go from there to really falling in love with it for the sake of it? Because I think that's what you have to have. Right. At least outside looking at it, I think that's what you have to have to really make it as a pro is it has to become more than just I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it happens. It almost like surprises you. It definitely wasn't in a way. I don't know if I necessarily like um, – it just was always something that I was had a, I was kind of curious about, right? And so curious, and also I had this, um, I just had this belief that there could be more there, if that makes sense, and that there could be, um, and that I could be really like really good, and that I I wasn't afraid. I, I knew that people were very good in the U.S. and the world, but I was like, I just had this something that I just knew that if I or like kind of, I guess, self-belief that I could also be at that level. Um, and, and I don't know if I could even like necessarily verbalize that even literally until probably my first year as a pro, um, that I really, it was like, I wanted to see what, what could come of it. Like I, um, I believe in myself enough that I wanted to see like, what, what can I make of this and what, what can I get out of myself if I really, if I really push myself, um, and I think there was two different things. Like, I think I fell in love with running by itself. Um, I mean, whenever running is just such, becomes such a therapeutic exercise, right? And I had like just, I started probably in, the, in my college at one point in time, just started to go on runs um, and start and like basically just, you, you learn to rely on yourself and as a form of exercise, as a form of getting out into nature. I really love being outdoors. Um, I really love the feeling of like pushing my body. I think I started to love running and I, and I will love that forever with, without even like pro training. Right. Um, and then separately and also at the same time, uh, yeah, I just like, there was this, just this, this growing kind of fire and light that, that I, um, I knew I wasn't necessarily the best, but I also d- didn't discount myself as like, I could one day, um, be like be with the best and be at, at that level and I and I just that was just such a fun exciting challenge and I loved kind of all the different challenges involved in getting in training and what you would learn about the human body um and that became a big propeller for me also so a side question then on that topic because I I was also recently talking to Ben Rosario he was talking about how he's had this self-confidence and belief for as long as he can remember mm-hmm. And I have a parent, I'm a parent, I have three kids. If I could instill anything in them, 
you know, there's only a few things that I care about. One of them is that they have a strong sense of self-belief mm-hmm. or strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. And part of the debate I have in my head as a parent is, is that born in them or is that something that's taught? And so I had a little bit of debate with that with Ben on the show recently. What do you think? Does that, is that just innate or is it, or is it come from your surroundings somehow? No, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like it's probably, there's probably a little bit of both, right? Um, I think, I mean, it's, you, you, you see the power of coaches, especially high school coaches. I definitely believe that a lot of those early, that early drive and fire came from a high school, my high school coach who I still adore and who just um, like thought the world of me and just, or, and all of his athletes and just made us feel like we were something special, right? And that we had something in us. And that also comes from teachers. Like there, there's always different people in your life as you're growing up that can give you that sense. And usually for me, also parents, but I think it was really important to have adults who aren't your parents. Um, I know I had a few teachers and I had um, Jimmy uh, who, yeah, they're still like kind of a light for me. Um, and certain coaches have just have that ability. Right. Uh, and. That's a good, that's a good point. I think that's a really important point and is that you have to surround yourself with people that believe in you mm-hmm. because that promotes your own self-belief. And I think your point to me as a parent is that it has to come from other places too, because as a parent, you kind of get pigeonholed into this. Well, of course they have to believe in me. They're, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm their child or whatever, you know, there's sort of this built in requirement that you have to believe in your kid, but to see that validated by others, mm-hmm. coaches, teachers, other mentors, I think is a big part of it. As I reflect, I'm also reflecting on my own sort of history too. It's like, you know what? I've also had those people in my life that have said, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. And I think it's a lesson too for adult athletes that might be training for things later in life, which is kind of surround yourself with people, whether they be training partners, coaches, influencers in your world that are speaking positivity into your world to promote that sense of self-belief. Oh, 100%. It matters so much. Um, I mean, yeah, even in my life now, I mean, even um, there, I'm so thankful for people, um, different mentors in my life that I still rely on um, and will text kind of for that. If I need that kind of little pump up, um, yeah, it's just, it's so important throughout. Yeah. Cause I heard you talking in an interview about that because you've had a lot of transition in your career. Mm-hmm. After college, you went to New Jersey, New York track up, tra- trained with coach gags there. Amazing coach, long time in the sport. Then you made a big shift, got injured, moved to bend, sort of seemed to be figuring things out a little bit there. Ultimately ended up at through Wartenberg's program at, at SoCal or at North Cal, NorCal distance, and then uh, ultimately to now Bowerman. So three amazing coaches, three big transitions. But as you were talking in that interview, you said, but so that's a lot of change, but the consistency has been those common folks in my life uh, or the common, you know, threads in my life of those people that have always been there that have helped me along the way. So talk a little bit about that. Who, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, you talked about your high school coach, but who else would be in that category? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Well, first of all, the coaches themselves, right? Like I still count gags as um, a major part of my life. And whenever I see him at meets, uh, 
I give him the big hug and I feel like he is still kind of in my corner, if that makes any sense, obviously all with all of his athletes. Um, I've tended my, my college coach people in general, I tend, if people have been a big part of your life, right. They tend to still be important. And, and in many cases, um, I mean, many cases moving, there's so many things that go into moving, right. Or to changing, especially with, as a pro, um, there's different levels of support that are available, different places. You need to think about family and like significant others, um, how your kind of long-term happiness is going to evolve. Like that all really matters. If you're going to think of, if you're going to try to be a pro for many years, right? Like you can't, if you're not making any money and you have no friend or no family around to, to support you, it doesn't matter like how good your coach is. Right. Um, so I think, and people don't necessarily always realize that from the outside, but it definitely is something that has gone into various decisions that I've made. Um, and I think it's also one of the reasons why uh, I'm able to continue to stay in contact with, with other coaches because you realize like they realize also that like Gags was such an incredible um, coach and, and like role model in my life. Uh, and he always will hold that role, you know? Um, and yeah, I just, I guess I feel lucky also to have met other people in the sport um, who have been able to kind of like older athletes um, or fans of the sport who have been able to give me, to give me advice and just, and um, yeah. And like kind of help me through the journey. Uh, I actually was back with, um, I was back for my friend, Ashley Higginson, who ran with me in New Jersey, New York. She just got married. I was in her wedding like a few weeks ago and it was so much fun. And I saw Julie Cully who, um, she actually made the 2012 Olympics and she was like one of, um, she was kind of the older athlete when I was at NJNY. Uh, and I definitely looked up to her and she was the first one where she was the first person that I really saw, like have this specific dream making the Olympics. Not everyone knew she was going to do it. And she just balled that year and she totally, and, and she won the trials. Um, and, um, she just did everything that she needed to do. She didn't kind of take, BS from anyone. Um, and I, I don't know, I really looked up to her and we actually ended up training together for a few stints. We would go to Phoenix cause it was warmer, um, in the, in the winters cause New Jersey gets really snowy and she just, um, I'm, yeah, I mean, I think she was one of the athletes just showed me what it meant to be, what it meant to be a pro athlete and have a dream for so many years and not be afraid to go after it. I like vividly remember her, asking me that was my first year kind of trying to I don't know kind of having a little bit of a breakthrough and she asked me like do you want to or what's your goal for USA's and I like couldn't even tell her I couldn't even really write it down because I was so nervous to say that I wanted to make the world team um because it was like putting myself out there so much um and I don't know she just showed me that like it's okay to kind of have these big goals and I didn't make the world team that year I got fourth um and like but still like verb that was my first time really verbalizing the goal that I want like I, I or that I believe I can be the best because it just seemed kind of like I don't know cocky or something or brash but um I was just so stupid because I was already a pro athlete but I don't know um just people like that you realize that you have impacts on people's lives and um yeah well that's one thing I love about your journey is that you finished fifth at NCAAs finishing behind four other women all great athletes in their own right. 
but none who have now made an Olympic 800 meter final. But yeah, you did it because you believed and then went about doing the work to get there. So how do you connect those dots for yourself? I mean, do you ever reflect back and think, man, who would have thought <laughs> you know, after finishing fifth at NCAAs that I would be here now? Yeah, it is kind of crazy. <laughs> um, it's, but it's awesome. It's awesome to me because as a fan, these are the stories that are so motivating because, you know, not not that fifth at NCAAs isn't amazing. It is. But there wasn't sort of a red carpet rolled out for you to say, Kate Grace, here's your sponsorship. Now join Bowman Track Club. Now you're on your way to the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't rolled out for you. You had to make your own way. And then ultimately you got, you're getting the red carpet treatment, but, and there's no blueprint for that. Right. So the fact you did it through injury ups and downs, you know, good performances, bad performances and, and believed to get there and then got it done using Marshawn Lynch as inspiration. It's just really inspiring. Yeah. So how do you think back on that? No, I mean, definitely I'd like pinch myself sometimes. It's funny, especially after joining like, last year when I was first going on to Nike campus. And I would like walk into these locker rooms and we had this locker room and a sauna and like a steam room. And there's all this like incredible equipment. And I'm thinking like to my first year at NJNY when I like didn't, didn't have, I didn't have a car. I had to walk to the grocery store like a mile because I couldn't, because there was no other way to get there, which is totally fine. You just kind of hustled in the beginning. Um, <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think it's also given me like a lot of drive in my racing because um, you don't take anything for granted. Right. Um, I mean, you have to, it's funny. I saw, uh, I mean, early on, it's like, you have to, give credit to other people right like so sarah lesko is a big um like very important person in my life and she's a yale alum and she came up to me at a um at the senior year banquet we have this like banquet with the seniors plus alums and basically just was like i never met her before and she was just this very hyper excited person who just said like you have to continue running you have to go for the trials um and i uh And yeah, and that was like the first time that someone just kind of so in my face had been just stated it as fact, like you will get better. We know. Um, And yeah, she's again, very, like very dear person in my life still. And um, I don't, I definitely wouldn't be here if she wasn't, she hadn't come up to me and been very involved, um, like continuously, her and her husband. Um, And Sarah's awesome, by the way. Yeah. I just met her. I just met her at CIM. Okay. Because I was, I coached an athlete who was going for an Olympic trials qualifier who runs for the volley. And she was there cheering. She may be one of the best cheer people <laughs> I've ever been exposed to. I mean, she was on point as it relates to cheering people on. It was awesome. Yeah. It takes a special person to cheer. I, it's so funny, even now, like trying to cheer people in races. Um, it's not always. I never know what to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. People, yeah, have that gift. Um, and then I think, uh, I mean, there's also, it's interesting. There's also a lot of timing involved, right? Like it's interesting, like Chanel, for example, has a world indoor medal. And sometimes, and there's certain people that are in, uh, just on their A game and then there's not during, uh, on the Olympic year. And at one point, no one, you can't, it would be uh, like, it would be what? 
kind of brash or not uh, accurate to say that everything is within our control, right? Like it's not all sometimes just there's just timing things that don't happen. And so I feel in a sense also very lucky um, to have that, that, that worked out and not that I out of my control. Right. And I don't know how to say anything besides that. And so it's not like one person deserves it. One person doesn't. Um, And I just try to control what I can control. And I think for me, it's just been this incredible challenge. It's like, it's kind of like when people, I mean, yeah, it's like anyone who wants to get better at anything, right? You, you're given this challenge. I think a lot of runners, it's, I think running is more fascinating the, real, the more you realize how many different paths there are to the top, right? So it's not just that we're running and we're doing the workouts. It's like we are, have infinite options with workouts, um, training partners, coaches, nutrition, recovery. Like there's so many different pieces to a puzzle and there's so many different ways the puzzle can be fit together. And for me, it's been this incredibly fun thing to learn. Like, wow, what, how can you learn about this sport and try to figure out, okay, what's my formula going to be? Um, sometimes I think I, I, I make it see, or I explain it like you're an entrepreneur and your running is your product, right? And it's like, how are you going to make the best product and how are you going to create the best team around your product? And even like as an entrepreneur, are you the CEO or do you pick someone else to be the CEO and you just kind of like stand back? Like, do you have a really involved coach or do you take on most of the risk? There's so many different things. And for me, it's been like, and it's changed for me throughout my time, right? It's like also different points in time based on other things in your life, like you might need other inputs. Um, And I've just, I've tried to just really fall in love with that process and that learning and realize that like, it's also always changing. Like for me now, I'm getting a little bit older. So there's all these new interesting things. Like I look up to different athletes. I mean, the LeBron James and Tom Brady's of the world, like different athletes who, and showing Flanagan's like who, and Meds who just crush as they, as they age. And like, what, what, what sets them apart aside from obviously incredible talent? Like are there things I can learn to implement into my training so that, um, yeah, so that I continue to improve. Anyway, that's my like long ramble. Yeah. No. Plus I think about even failure, you know, failure along the journey, which sometimes may be related to luck or injury or bad luck comes at you in a way that somehow positions you to then come out of it stronger. Yeah. You know, I think about your, your injury, your foot injury moves you to bend so that you can not only do some soul searching, but work with Jay Dishery, who we've had on the show running rewired. I will plug that book again because it's awesome. But I'm sure the work you did in that season, not only sort of mentally to figure out what you wanted to do with the sport, but also physically to get prepared and healthy to go back into it probably set you up for things that will lead to success later even maybe that haven't happened yet i hope so (laughs) yeah 100 percent. i mean definitely that i kind of fell off i had like a breakthrough year 2013 and i kind of fell off like any um with uh, for about two years there um and but yeah i mean i was again just like diving in learning so much i didn't really know anything about physical therapy uh and what it meant to kind of support yourself your body as a runner so diving into that with jay jay is incredible and just and he also just has like this mind he always is learning and always wanting to teach you and so i'm just learning a lot um because you want to be able to first of all i mean it's interesting as a runner like you have these experts like physical therapists but people also can give you conflicting information or they can be giving you one yeah um you just you need to be able to also learn how to take in the information and then also and keep what's necessary but not overwhelm yourself and so i was trying to learn kind of 
how to do all that. Um, and I think also I worked with Clyde Wilson, who was a, a nutritionist um, in, or he probably is a much bigger title than that. Like a, I don't know, something <laughs> exercise scientist. Anyway, he works at Stanford and he's incredible. Smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's great. And so I learned a lot about like, um, nutrition. Cause I definitely fell when I first was with gags, I totally fell into the trap of like basically just not eating. Cause you don't, cause you think you see these runners you're like, Oh, they look thin. Like don't eat, but that's not, that's not at all the case. Right. And so I dove into learning about what it meant to fuel myself and how athletic nutrition worked. Um, yeah. And I mean, a lot, again, everything from Jay that I learned that year, everything from Clyde, I, a lot of that stuff I still apply and as I think has enabled me to continue to be, um, to perform well. Um, and then also you kind of learn, like you get your fire. I mean, hundred percent, like after that, after those two years, it, it wasn't a given I was going to make the team. If I didn't make the team, I was probably done. Right. So I definitely also left. I went to Drew basically like on a complete mission. I've never felt so just, yeah, driven. Um, and there was definitely some hard times when in injury times, but I wouldn't take those back because I do feel like that gave me such, um, such motivation to, for the next year. You were hungry (laughs) (laughs) in a figurative sense. (laughs) I was very well nourished according to Clyde. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, it's interesting on the, on the nutrition side. I, As an, as an aside, I'm, I'm doing a juice cleanse this week. Oh, gosh. So I'm drinking juice. I don't know if I'm doing four or five days. I've done it before. I've done five days. I've done four days. The thing that's crazy about it to me, and I, the reason I did it originally was because I had this nutrition sort of health coach friend of mine, yeah. and I was talking to her about my own running. I said, look, I'm running all the time. I feel like you know I'm tracking what I'm eating. I feel like I'm doing a good job getting enough calories you know, but not too much, you know, I'm balancing everything. I feel like, well, but I'm still hungry all the time. And I was like, what is the deal? So she had me send her my, my logs. Cause at the time I was tracking it in my fitness pal, just to try to get a baseline for myself. And anyway, I sent it to her and she said, she came back really quickly and she's like, you know what? She's like, you're not getting enough variety and enough vegetables. Ultimately, uh-huh. it's like, you're hungry because your body's hungry for nutrients uh-huh. and not calories and so from that i decided to do juice cleanse so i'm like what happens if i just drink juice which has all the nutrients and micronutrients you need anyway i did it for five days the first time was not hungry the entire week whoa felt amazing and it was sort of this aha for me that okay not only is it about getting the right amount of food but it's also getting the right foods and the right nutrition and the right nutrients in the right balance so that you curb what your body wants. Cause really your body is looking for that nutrition, that nutrients versus raw calories. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it's, it was an interesting aha. So I've kind of come back to it here and there when I feel like I need a reset and kind of a reminder of cleaning things up. But, but I think that's an important message for people. It's like, gotta get the, the, the nutrients in addition to the calories. Oh yeah. Um- to fuel your fire lots of different lots of variety lots of vegetables <laughs> yeah yes all the all the things so so let's talk about injury then you know so you during that two years you're you had a foot issue that you're working through that 
you were consulting with Jay on and I'm sure doing your other sort of homework and research on. How did you come back from that? How did you, one, stay engaged in the process and then two, sort of bounce back? Yeah, I mean, I actually had two. So I started with planter, with a pretty bad case of planter. And then like about a year and a half later, I got, um, I actually tore something called, it's called your planter plate, which sounds like planter, but it's not. It's like a ligament-like structure, basically under the ball of your foot. Um, so like turf toe. Anyway, so I had two different foot injuries. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, injuries like just are no fun. Um, I, so for the first one, I think, um, I, I did take a lot of time off. I actually got PRP in my foot and I went, and because of that, I was on crutches and I just was like totally off and, and I went home and sometimes if you've been banging your head against the wall and you've, as a runner, I think we just try to run through everything. And sometimes your body actually needs to heal. And the best thing you can do is just nothing right is like stop being a runner for a bit and I think um so in 2013 I did that for a little bit and I think that is rejuvenating because at one point if you're gonna if you're obsessively cross-training the whole time you also aren't necessary I mean it depends where you are in your cycle right like I was done with my season I knew I wasn't gonna be running anytime soon so I decided like okay finish and then not necessarily go crazy cross training right away. Like you don't, if in a sense, if you only have a certain amount of energy, you don't want to burn yourself out. Um, if you're going to be out of shape kind of anyway. So that was for the first one. And then just being around, obviously, like, like we just said, having people around you. Um, and yeah, I, I, I used it as a chance to really learn about my foot. Um, also about active recovery. I think before that I used to think of it always as like, you're either injured or you're not right. But his whole thing is like, as you can, as long as you are keeping things mobile and um, whatever, but rolling before, rolling after, stretching, doing some mobility, getting some grass and work, um, you actually, as long as you're not making things worse, you actually can, for certain injuries, you can like continue to recover through some light running. And so I learned, I just learned about that. Um, and yeah, like all my different little tools about how basically not to run on cold feet, like as long as I wasn't running on cold feet and my feet were like, uh, kind of more had, I'd kind of done some little grassing on them beforehand that it actually, they were doing, they were pretty good. Uh, the second injury really sucked. And that was right before the 2015 season. And I basically ended up being out for that whole season. Um, so that was just mentally really hard. Um, again, I think surrounding yourself with good people for that one. I actually went to Jay. I, it's so funny thinking back now. Um, I had like this big, I was just thinking about this the other day because I was talking to a new physical therapist. So I basically, um, that injury started and it was just, you know, like the worst part of an injury is right before you know how bad it is, you know? So like you just, everything you, you keep hearing, it's like, it's, oh, it's two weeks. Oh, maybe it's a month. Oh, maybe it's three months. And it was like, it was in that point where it was, things just kept getting worse and worse. And I was talking with like, um, kind of coach advisor at the time. And he basically was like, you know what? You don't have to run. Like you can just not run this season. And if anything, like you could, you could just, you could take a class. You can maybe like think about grad school. Like there's, you don't have to do this. You don't have to keep banging your head against the wall. Um, 
And I, and he totally was doing it out of love, right? Like he wanted me to know, he was like, you, you can wait until next year. You don't have to start running until the Olympic year. And he was doing it out of love, but like I, it hit me so hard. Cause in my mind, it was like, you are giving up on me. Like you, you don't think that I'm, mm. that, that this is, that, that I can do this or that I'm worth fighting for kind of, which again, isn't at all what he was trying to do. But in my mind, that's what I, that's what I heard. Um, and so yeah. I literally, and I, I had that conversation and that's when he was first, that's when we were first realizing how bad it was. And he basically was like, you probably won't run for a while. So you should just accept it. And I, I literally went to like my first, I was seeing this other random physio and I walked into his office and like, I was inconsolable. Like, I've never done this before. I, sobbed the whole the whole time the, the poor man was like who is this person and why are you crying he actually he actually like ended up calling he actually ended up calling my coach afterwards which I was so pissed about but because but I guess in his defense like he legitimately thought that I was a mental health risk or like whatever he, like <laughs> he, was yeah, concerned. he was concerned I was sobbing but I mean if you look back if I look back at like the arc of me kind of taking control of what was happening next like it was that like I I definitely just, that was my low point, And I sobbed in front of a random stranger for about 30 minutes as he looked at my foot. And then I was like, I want, and I, it just, it, that crystallized. If, even if you were like, talking about me and my running and like how I absolutely knew, it's like when you're at that low point and you feel like no one's there. And I absolutely knew that I desperately wanted this. And I desperately believed like, that's where I, I, it's kind of like, I, I found a renewed sense of urgency um, and I went to Jay and I said, and Jay, like, I, I want to run at us champs this year, which was, it was like March and I, that, and that was June. So there wasn't that much time, but it was like, Jay, I want you to get me strong enough that I can, that I can run a 400. And so we just made this kind of arbitrary goal and Jay, like to his credit, like we went on this intense strength routine and he, cause his whole thing is like, if you get strong, if you do your deadlifts and your heavy weights, like running is just a series of single leg hops right so you need to so if you can get strong even if you're not running like you're you'll be able to support your running and so I had this really intense gym routine that he gave me plus other things like plyometrics and I was doing those every single day I wake up at 6 a.m because I didn't have to but my boyfriend like would go with me to the gym before work um and we'd go to the gym uh, and I feel kind of like a badass um and then <laughs> um and yeah, and that's also when I started, I reached out to Drew and I was like, Drew, I want to come, like, I, I need more oversight here and want to come to your group. Um, and I don't know what, how we started this, this conversation, but that was basically, oh, the injury, like that, that's not the injury. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think two things to point to there, there were a lot of things, support network, all of that. But I think the fact that you had that breakdown is so important. And a lot of times, whether it be an injury or a failure, maybe a bad race, people don't allow themselves to feel all the feels associated yeah. with that. And you have to, you got to like break down, you got to cry, you got to mourn as I'll sometimes call it either the, the loss of fitness through injury or the loss of a goal through a race. And then it is only once you do that, that you can really get to like a productive place with it. And so it sounds like you had that moment and then that moved you to the space you needed to be in, which is, all right, let's do something about yeah. it. And then you did that. No, it's so true. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about moving to Drew's program, NorCal Distance, working with Drew Wartenberg, Kim Conley is in that group, also an Olympian. But you came into that staring down the, you know, the, the pipe of having to get fit pretty fast to get ready for USA's and then the 2016 Olympic cycle, right? Mm -hmm. How did you approach that transition? Yeah, um, 
I mean, to be fair, first of all, the, the stuff with Jay was incredible. And I hope, um, so I, I definitely came into that feeling strong. Like I'd been doing um, a, succession, a succession of heavy lifts twice a week with him. And then all he calls them hops, but basically just like a bunch of plyometrics and core work. So I felt like I had a good base from which I could like do a good build and not have any setbacks because that, that's the key right at that point you don't you just can't afford setbacks and I did um and then the other thing that I definitely learned from Kim was just not being afraid of just pushing your limits and kind of pushing beyond what maybe your mind thinks is um is possible or fun uh it's funny I, I got into sports psych and I still I go through periods where I try to learn a lot about just the mental aspects of running but definitely at that point like it was I felt like I was pushing myself harder than I had before. And maybe that's because maybe that's saying that I wasn't pushing myself hard enough earlier or something, or I just didn't, I don't know if sometimes as a runner, especially new runners, I mean, I was kind of new to distance running. You don't know, like, is it safe to push? Like if it hurts this bad, you know, like, is it, um, I, yeah. Like if it's painful, do I have to stop? Or if, if, if I'm breathing hard, and I learned, I saw Kim and Kim got to this place and she like, it's like, she liked it. She liked when she, when she started feeling that. Um, and I think actually Lauren Fleshman might have a quote where it's about like, it's like when you get to that hard place, you like it. Cause you know, that's when you're getting better. And I just, I tried to copy her Kim and just say like, okay, I long runs and fart licks were two, especially that I knew that I just did not feel comfortable in, but I'm like, this is where I'm getting better. I see myself getting closer to my goal. And so you actually, yeah, you learn to kind of like, to like that pain. And so I just found myself that I was just really grinding. Um, and, and I think because I was able to really kind of step, step up a level of my aerobic capacity with the just faster runs and hard long runs that also enabled me to then kind of get some good training in, in the spring before the Olympics. Plus, it certainly helps having teammates to push you to that point, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, 100%. Like, definitely was learning a lot from her and just pushing with her. Uh, and there was other um, – Lauren Wallace was there, Leanne Farber, Rolanda Bell. Like, we had this good kind of group together, um, Rachel Mitchell. And we were um, – yeah, at one point, I've always responded really well to training groups. And I think there's this great energy that comes when the training group is all working, working together and pushing each other. And then you went on this crazy season where you, it seemed like you PR'd at every turn and won races, won USA's to make it to the Olympics, beating a stacked field, ultimately made it to the Olympic final after PRing in the semifinals to make it on time. This sort of storybook season. Let's start with the final at USA's obviously it was a little bit chaotic with Brenda and and Alicia sort of stumbling and tripping on each other and so you you got the benefit of that but but I, I was watching that race back yesterday and I remember watching it live and you were gonna win no matter what I don't know if you do you recognize that like do you watch it back and say you know what it didn't matter what happened with them I was gonna win no matter what it feels to me like watching it back now like you were gonna win no matter what um yeah, that was, it's such a crazy race still. It's so, there's different emotions but just because, I mean, it, yeah, it was interesting. It definitely, I mean, the way that that happened sucked for a lot of athletes, right? So that's hard and a lot of people I look up to. Um, I think 
there's two things. First of all, I, yeah, I PR'd in that race and I had, I, I hadn't PR'd in three years. Like that was my first PR in the 800 in three years. Um, and that like, and I knew going into it, I was going to PR. I knew I could do it. And yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I knew I was going to make the team basically. And I don't know how else you say that. And like that, the run through a face, whatever quote was in my head. Um, and I've never, it just was such an incredible moment before even like starting. I remember that morning running on priest trail. I have this really clear memory of running on priest trail and I was listening to Michael Jackson. Um, what's the song from free Willy. Anyway, that song was, I like love that song and that it just like, it was like, everything was just perfect. And I just, um, and yeah, I mean, and I think, yeah, again, the fact that I came back from those two injuries and I've been so far out of the sport and I hadn't really been a even contender at USA's and then to set my personal best after three years, it was just, it was like, it was, I'm so proud that I, that I was able to do that. Um, and then the thing, yeah, it's interesting. You can never, you can never tell what would happen, right. Without a fall. But, um, I did say to Drew before, like, he actually made sure to tell me like a win is the podium at this point. Don't like basically don't make the mistake of going for the win and missing a podium. Right. Like somehow, I don't know. But, and so, I mean, in my mind, that's what I was going for and that's what, and that's what I did. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, and I'm proud of that and it's still, and and it's still looking like a hard memory because it's just, I don't know. You never want, yeah, it's complicated. But, yeah, it's complicated. Like, 100%, like what I could control, I feel good about. But Alicia was fading and Brenda was sort of in a weird spot on the outside. I still think you, you know, if we run it back and everybody stay on their feet, I still think you win. I mean, you ran past Ajay Wilson on the home stretch, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, that's huge in and of itself. And so you make it. I was also watching back your Lewis Johnson interview where you basically said, look, I've never been in this position. I've never won anything nationally, you know, at college now, you know, until this moment. And you just seem to be in disbelief. That's, that's a pretty, that's gotta be a pretty good feeling, especially after the ups and downs of the prior two yeah, years. No, a hundred percent. It was, um, yeah, it's funny. I have, I get goosebumps still thinking about it. And, but also just thinking about that, it was that, that whole year I just felt I was, um, there was going to be a moment like that, right? You never know if you can quite control it, if it's there, if it's somewhere, a different race PRing, but I just knew, like, um, I don't know, that there, that things, that it was, yeah, it was a building of momentum, and I just felt, and it was, um, it was very special. (laughs) You believed. I mean, and that, to me, you know, is cool, because, in some ways that was an irrational belief if you were looking at it objectively on the outside, but that didn't matter. Right. I mean, ultimately what matters is just that you believed and that your coach believed and your team believed and you put yourself in position, you know, holding the rail, that entire race, you put yourself in position to win at the end and then it happened. (laughs) So it's it's really cool. had this, there was this thing. I mean, one of the reasons I went to Drew was because I just felt like I kept in my in my own way, right? Like I had, I was learning so much, but I just kept like not always showing up or just not kind of not following through with what I wanted for myself. And I just knew that Drew and Drew was just known for being this coach. It was like, okay, he's gonna make sure he'll be basically he'll be on your ass, and he will like you will not if you go there, and he'll make sure that you 
that if you say you're going to do something, that you're going to do it. And I just, I wanted, I needed that. Um, probably maybe also, cause even though I believe in myself, like you don't, if you don't quite believe or something, you, you kind of end up hiding and he just like, wouldn't let that happen. Um, and we had this one, like I hadn't this one like interaction in Flagstaff where he, I was like, I think I, I was helping out a teammate and I ended up staying up late and like not going to the run or something. And we had this like, um, we had, he got, he, we were talking in the, in the parking lot and he was, and he, he was basically just like, this is not okay. You cannot, like, you cannot not show up for your life. Um, and it's also important to have people like that in your life, right? To like call you on your BS. And he, mm-hmm. um, and it was like, he basically was talking about standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and that he was going to stand like that. He was there next to me and he was going to be with me, but that I needed. And like that, that feeling of standing on the edge is something that's like just so awesome that you could like you, your whole body tingles. Right. And it's like, he was there, but I had to also step up. Like I had to step to the ledge and like kind of, yeah, like take the risk and let go. And that just became, and speaking of mantras, that became like a visualization of mine. It was like, I was on the ledge of the something that could be great. And like everything, every time I did a hard workout or like push past something uncomfortable, like I had these wings that were growing and like they were slowly growing. And by the time I got to the trials, it was like, I had these gorgeous, huge, it's like, yeah, these huge wings that I was just going to like fly. And that I had given, and I, it's just like, I knew I had given everything that year. And that's, that's an incredible feeling. And in the end, like, that's all you can really control. Right. And that's, it's like, I had my wings. I don't know. I was proud of that. <laughs> that's cool. So you make the Olympic final then in January, essentially the next year, you make a shift to Bowerman. Obviously, you know, part of that was a, a sponsorship change as you, your contract was up with Wazell and then you're making the shift to Nike. So what did you see in Jerry and the Bowerman group that drew you to them? Yeah. Um, Jerry, it's, the, well, first of all, they sense definitely since the 2016 or I mean, it's for a long time. They just keep having this like incredible, it seems like this amazing, um, like positive group dynamic, right? Um, and when we talk about like those moments, like for me, like the Olympic trials or the Olympics, you realize that you can't always control different. In my career, like you can't always control what what's happening on the like in other in, to other people in your races, right? But you can control yourself. You control if you're ready to take advantage of a situation, um, right? And to to be your best. And Jerry definitely talks about that. He talks about, um, like, he gets people ready for moments, right? And so, and you see that time again, time again with his athletes, with Emily, with her medal, with Courtney. It's like, he gets you ready with Evan, um, Shalane with the marathon. It's like, you you get super fit and and you're ready and you can never control when, when the moment comes, but, when, but you know when the moment comes, you're going to be able to take it. And I just kept, I, I saw that, I was like, I can tell that this is how this sport works, right? You just need, and this is how my whole career has worked. Like, I need to be patient. I can't always, I'm not always going to be there maybe, or I might have some injuries, but you know what? Like, if I can be patient and stick it out and get ready, like, I can take advantage of and 
grab those moments when they come. And I just love when Jerry talks about that. Um, and it really, it gives me chills and it makes me think, it makes me excited for like more to come. Um, and then also with Nike, I think uh, it's interesting with Nike because there is, um, I just, cause I guess, so I basically, I was changed. I knew I had to change sponsors, right? My, my contract was up and then choosing which sponsor, um, was like, just kind of was definitely weighing on me. Uh, especially, yeah. When you hear there's like the various controversies in the sport, um, just about like, yeah, how different companies, whatever, like how they are, um, like how much room there is for different companies to play. And, um, so it definitely, it definitely was a hard decision for me. Like which company will I, do I want to, to represent? Right. Um, and in the end it, uh, it was, it's interesting with Nike. Like I, you realize that, um, that their whole, like the whole ethos of the company is something that I, um, that, or that I was excited about. Right. And so not even beyond track more so, more so actually for their other, um, the other sports that they, that they sponsor and for like the Serena Williams of the world and other like incredible, incredible female athletes that they sponsor. Um, it was just, uh, it was like this, this is, this is an exciting, this is a cool group. And I definitely was one of those kids that I grew up looking up to Mia Hamm, um, and that like championship soccer when I played soccer, right? Like that was my, my, my Olympic moment was watching. I was at the, um, I was at the Rose Bowl when the women won the World Cup for soccer and um, that mm. incredible moment where uh, Brandy Chastain like took off her sports bra and ripped off her shirt. It was just like total celebration, like balls out, just like so excited. And like, you just don't, you didn't yeah. always see women do that, right? Like just like um, so openly competitive and excited about it. And yeah, that was like, that was an incredible moment for me as a kid. And now like I, the Mia Hamm building, I go and see that picture of Mia Hamm just like mm. on her knees, just so excited. And like, um, I realized that yes, there are, um, it's like, there's, ne there's always kind of um, positives and negatives, but like that kind of stuff was something that I was really excited about. And that, that the Bowerman track club also uh, like is also an example of that, right? There's so many powerful women on this team, um, starting with Shalane and like winning, the, winning the New York marathon and like saying, fuck yeah. And just, it's, it's so cool <laughs> to be around and it's something that I feel really, really lucky to be a part of. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, it's cool to watch as a fan. I mean, clearly Jerry and all of you in the Bowerman group are doing it the right way, working hard, and it's inspiring. And, you know, there you are training with eight other Olympians. <laughs> I mean, it's that's nuts. Yeah. So <laughs> you've been there two years. Yeah, I'm sure, right? You've been there two years. I know as as is sort of often talked about, athletes have a little transition period getting into Jerry's program. So I'm sure you had some of that and you know, you didn't really have a sort of, I don't know, maybe this is me characterizing, but a breakthrough within the team until last summer, really where you got third at, at in the 1500 at USA's behind Shelby and, and Jenny. 
maybe that's not a fair characterization, but that seemed to me kind of outside looking in is sort of a moment where you're like, okay, Kate's coming back now. I see it. So how does this last two years been? What have you learned? What have been the challenges? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's actually only been, it's been like a year and three months now. (laughs) So it hasn't been that long. I actually just, I didn't October. So, but that said, yeah, last year was big. And I've, everyone always says there's a transition with clubs, but like, I don't know. I also always never quite believed that. Like there wasn't never a transition for me. Right. I always, I tended to like be able to transition pretty quickly. Um, but yeah. I don't know. There has been. And um, it's, it definitely is higher mileage. The workouts are harder than I've ever done. Just, they're just, just like more and um, more volume, faster reps, less rest, all those things, um, which is all good. But, I had never been, I literally had not had this where like, I can't finish a workout, right? That's just nothing that's happened since, like, since I've started, uh, I don't know, running, <laughs> running. Uh, and <laughs> I, I mean, it's actually common, like this actually, we had, we had like a pretty cool workout yesterday and some of the new girls, same deal. They couldn't, I mean, a lot of us actually couldn't finish and, or just kind of blew up. And that just, it's a total shock when you're, um, I don't know when you're not used to that. Right. But you realize that's at one point, that's how you continue to get better. And that's the whole thing with Kim Connolly's thing is like, it's when it hurts that when is when you're getting better. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, it definitely took me a little while, a, a little while, I think to get used to that. I, I was really tired. Um, I think the biggest thing you realize is that you just are tired and that's it where other, my other teammates have helped me through that is that, I'm not used to going into races, just feeling fatigued. And that was off-putting. And they also, but they all agreed that that, that they, they had to go through that also and that it gets better kind of. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that definitely USA's, I was pretty proud of that USA's. It's funny because you're like, you're funny getting third, you're proud of. But like, I, things started to click more and we, we had gone to altitude, but I actually came down early from altitude cause, just because I knew I needed a little bit of rest. And I, def- I took, I was proud also of knowing that I needed a little bit more rest going into USA's. So I took that and I wasn't like ashamed of that or I didn't kind of blindly follow necessarily what works for everybody else, right? Like you, you have to learn like what works for you. Um, and then going into that USA's, it was like I... I want to be able, yeah, I, I want to be back to my competitive self. And, um, I actually ended up taking, uh, yeah, I made the move. I like, no one was moving. I think cause Shelby and Jenny were kind of like playing off of each other. So they didn't, they didn't move and no one was moving. <laughs> and then it was like a 400 to go and we were all like in a slow pack. And I don't know, I just went and I've never done it before in a race or I haven't really rarely, but it's, that actually goes back to like last year. I kept thinking about that. Like, you know what? We all kind of run the same pace on the final lap. So if you just go first, maybe you will just end up first, right? Um, and I mean, again, I think Ben Shelby ended up running like 57. So that doesn't work because someone's running faster than you in the last lap. But still, like to be able to do that, um, I was proud of that, of just being able to compete. And that's that's, again, with opening yourself up to failure, like, yeah, you're then the one that people are going to catch, but you know what? You're also, you don't have regrets necessarily afterwards. Um, and I just keep wanting to do that with my career and with my racing, like don't have regrets, go, uh, and see what happens. And yeah, like 
you can you can look at it both ways. Like I fell back, I didn't, didn't beat them, so maybe that's a little bit of a failure. But for me, it was a definitely a win in that like I was back to to, to competing and not uh, and not hiding. Um, and and then the less you're scared of doing that, like whatever the Marshawn Lynch quote, like people just keep doing <laughs> that, and people will maybe your competitors won't will be a little bit more timid, or or you'll just keep getting better and. Um, yeah, maybe one day you'll make the move and you'll end up first. It's certainly, there's no shame in losing to Jenny Simpson and Shelby. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, literally at that point, either. it was one of those things either. where like, it was clear. I mean, maybe Shelby hadn't quite, trading with Shelby at that point, it was like, she's going to get an American record this year. She, she should be the best in the world. And so at one point, if you're, I, it was, I was thinking of it like, okay, I want to, yeah, kind of yeah like you control the controllables I want to be able to compete and beat anyone who I think um that at my current level that I should be beating right or that like I can compete with and for those two at that point I was like it's okay I'm developing and I'm in a different path and you also have to learn that as an athlete right it's like okay maybe one day I can hope to be at this level but right now I think getting third for me is a win yeah, I think so, especially with the transition. But how do you then take that from go from there to saying, "All right, I can beat Shelby or I can beat Jenny." I mean, Shelby's a two-time Diamond League champion. Her kick yeah. in the last year, maybe it's always been there, but her ability to use it at the end of these races, whether they be fifteen hundred or five k, seems to be otherworldly right now. So, and she's a teammate. So, how do you then take that next step to go from being happy with third to believing you could beat either of them? Right. I mean, definitely something I'm still working on. I, I think at one point it's continuing to trust the training. I mean, you realize with the kick, for example, Jerry's whole thing is like, it doesn't matter how fast you're going or how fast you are if you're not fit enough to get to the last lap. And for me, that's been the case, right? Like if you, I'm fast, but if I'm not, if I'm tired in the last lap, you're not going to have a kick. Um, and that's, I mean, Shelby's been really open about that with what this year or last year, like she's so strong in her workouts that she does all the strength stuff. And so then she's able to unleash her speed at the end. And so I'm still, um, I'm excited about being able to work more on that and continue to get stronger. Um, and like this fall was better than last fall. And you just hope to like continue to kind of to, to notch those gains. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a 158, 800 runner her pr is a 201 so yeah. theoretically you've got similar speed and it's just a matter of being able to put it to work yeah yeah end. yeah um i feel like one day she'll probably win an eight and definitely <laughs> that pr that pr for her is from 2014 so it's a little dated she could she could probably beat that tomorrow if she wanted to yeah basically in practice uh no i mean if anything that's where Again, I've always tried to surround myself, I think, with people who are uh, better than me or like who I can learn from. And I'm so, so thankful for various like, training partners that I have been able to learn from. Yeah, even like story started with Julie Cully and now people on this team. I mean, you want you want people who can push you, right? I mean, at one point, it's scary and it kind of sucks sometimes to feel like you're not the best one. But at one point, like... You either 
see it now or you see it on the line. So may as well see it now, right? We can all push each other and we all are able to have certain strengths or weaknesses and kind of pull each other through. Um, yeah. And I just try to think of it as like that. I'm lucky to have that. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and to continue to fight. So last question, because I got to wrap this up. What are your goals yeah. for 2019 and what races should we be looking for for you soon? Mm, um, my goal is 2019. I mean, I want to be, um, I know I had, I kind of came around through the summer, but I want to continue to like have some fun, good racing throughout the year, right? Um, indoors, I'm running Milrose, I actually just confirmed, and I'm running Milrose Mile. Um, I'm going back with Colleen and then we'll do USA indoors. And so that will be fun. Um, and then outdoors. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly my schedule. I mean, I'm sure I'll be a pre, a pre in USA's and the goal is to get to its world this year. So Qatar, uh, Doha. Um, and I think for me, it's just, yeah, it's continuing to compete and like have some good races in the 1500. Um, and so, yeah, I guess look for that in, in the spring and summer. Uh, and at the same time, hopefully get some more eights in, um, mm-hmm. maybe a thousand. I don't know. We'll see. I have to like convince Jerry cause he's not into the eight that much. <laughs> but, yeah. You've got work to do. Yeah, exactly. So for 2020, you think you'll target the 15 or the eight again? Um, or is it too early to tell? It's probably TBD. I bet this season will tell, right? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. Cool. For 2016, I didn't know what I was going to be racing until like two weeks before the trials. So I have some You time. got plenty of time to decide. <laughs> awesome, Kay. I really appreciate you joining. I will also make sure the audience knows to follow you on Instagram at FastKate. Yes. And thanks for joining. This has been really, really fun conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun and I love going through different points of the career. Yeah. Thanks so much. Love that interview. Thanks again to Kate, Colleen and Vanessa for joining us. That was, that was a lot of fun. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. We will now wrap episode 109 of the running rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at rogue running until next time. We'll talk to you soon.